Well, welcome back listeners to the Dairy Science Digest, a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell from the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and each month I feature a new, fresh research article that's in press. And joining us today is co-author Dr. Michael Kleinhans, DVM and PhD from Kansas State, and he's here today to discuss his team's research article currently in press titled Effect of Buvicane Liposome Suspension Administered on a Corneal Nerve Block on Indicators of Pain and Distress during and after cautery dehorning and dairy calves. So, Doc, before we get into the meat and taters, can you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yes, I am a clinical pharmacologist on faculty at Kansas State University. My research focus is in pain mitigation and pharmacologic interventions for pain management in food animals, uh, specifically cattle, swine, and goats. I'm originally an Ohio native. Um, have spent most of my previous career in dairy industry. I was a herdsman, uh, owned a hoof trimming business, and then moved on to my DVM. And then after my DVM, I practiced in dairy for six years before starting my uh, PhD in clinical pharmacology. So that's kind of my short and sweet background. So Sure, you've got lots of boots on the ground experience, and you recognize that uh... Dehorning is one of those necessary management practices that nobody really likes to do. And, and furthermore, it's fairly controversial for our consumers. And while pulled breedings, of course, is something that everyone likes to talk about, the reality is our desirable sires are, are still horned. And so we come to this decades-long crossroads of a need to eliminate these horns. So could you Talk us through a little bit about what your research question was and the, the answer you were seeking through this project. So our research lab is always looking for uh, the next pharmacological intervention, ways to determine pain and distress in animals uh, to help basically help along the, the pharmaceutical industry to bring these products to market. Um, being able to indicate that an animal is in pain is a huge hurdle for our regulatory agency, um, and our lab seeks to kind of bridge that gap. Uh, so that was the first reason we wanted to try out some new tools we had on hand uh, to see if we can find a comparison and basically help move the industry forward with having approved, FDA-approved products at, that meet this industry needs. So you talked about bringing pharmacological things to the market to help uh, bovine folks out in the world. Talk a little bit about what this particular suspension is going to do and where it's at in the phase of, of testing and how close we might be to getting uh, this particular treatment into the hands of dairy producers. So currently, um, this is approved in the United States by the FDA for cats and dogs, and it's marketed by Elanco. Uh, this drug is and it's called, under the trade name Nocita, and bupivacaine has been around for a, a long time since the 60s, uh, but this liposomal suspension is unique in that it's basically little fat droplets with a drug inside of it. And so if you got to think of it like a little balloons put together and every time a balloon pops, drugs released. Um, and so that's what gives us its longer duration of action. So we're talking days, whereas lidocaine, which is our traditional drug that's used for um, nerve blocks in animals, only lasts about four hours at most. Uh, two to four is kind of the um, spot where it 
starts to wane off and um, is no longer effective. Yeah, and that that long acting could give them some relief, but that that segues right into the the different treatments that you have. So really, there's kind of three treatments, one control and one sham. Uh, before we go into the treatment, what is a sham? So a sham is basically a fake fake dehorning. So um, we don't do the actual dehorning procedure. Uh, we just take a cold dehorner and just place it on their horn for 10 seconds. So we have to restrain the animal. Everything's the same except the actual cautery or hot iron disputting procedure. Uh, and so it's basically a fake procedure. And then with the, with the control, they went through, got the injections and, and dehorned without any pain relief. That is correct. So those are negative controls. Those that dehorned without any pain relief, kind of like what would have been pretty common 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, in the dairy industry. And we've gotten better at administering those drugs, um, but you know we're still looking for a combination that lasts days, not just hours. Sure. And if we have some listeners out there that are thinking to themselves, oh man, I, uh, I don't use lidocaine or this, uh, bubicaine. Um, I, I want you to know that you're not alone. I thought it was interesting in your, in your literature review, it said of polled dairymen, only 15% in the United States actually does some sort of pain relief, despite all of our knowledge that it helps the calves and it helps you administer this, this effort. And then furthermore, it's, it's becoming required um, and has been required in the farm 4.0. And for our Missouri listeners, Every co-op that you sell your milk to in the state of Missouri requires you to adhere to the Farm 4.0 standards. Could you speak a little bit to what those expectations are in the industry? Yes. So for disbudding, um, particularly, the verbiage is very specific in there uh, in terms of the age of the animal and the requirement for providing analgesia. And it, they require all calves to be dehorned or disbudded by eight weeks of age. Um, and they also explicitly say that you have to provide analgesia regardless of the method of dehorning use or disbudding use. So even for instead of hot iron dehorning or disbudding, the caustic paste disbudding, mm-hmm. um, you need to provide analgesia with that as well. And that's a pretty, it's somewhat of a painful procedure that is mm-hmm. kind of innocuous just because it's a slower onset to that pain. And by the time that pain's really hard, we're not really looking at those calves like we do, you know, with hot iron disputting. Yeah, well, uh, and I guess it's just a a little plug about the Farm 4.0 program for those listeners that have kind of gotten away from thinking about it. I know with COVID and such, the inspections have slowed significantly, but as they're reviewing different um, verbiage for the 5.0 version, um, it's going to come back on and don't, don't forget about it, I guess. And so that makes that makes these treatment protocols that you tested all the more relevant. So could you tell us more about the, the three different actual treatments? So our three treatments were uh, bupivacaine liposoma suspension as our obvious new test, a novel testing modality. Um, and then the f- other two were a lidocaine injection um, over the provided it was local anesthetic to that horn area, and then a lidocaine injection, and then calves were also given oral meloxicam at the time of this budding as well. 
And so both of those, lidocaine and meloxicam, are kind of considered more of a gold standard in the dairy industry for pain mitigation. Sure. Uh, and where lidocaine on itself isn't necessarily recommended as the sole analgesic because after about four hours, that lidocaine wears away and they get what's they have like actually have a rebound effect in those animals. But we needed to compare a local anesthetic head to head with a local anesthetic in our study. So that's why we had to include that sure. um, in there. So I guess uh, as part of the learning phase of the podcast also, do you have any recommendations for those folks that are listening in that want to learn more about how to do the corneal nerve block? What's a good uh, source of literature? Where is there a clickable link that I could add to the discussion of this podcast to provide them with a a resource on learning how to do that. Of course, they ought to work with their herd veterinarian on on record, but um, to help them out. Yes. Um, so our group published a literature, invited a review on applied animal sciences. And so if you Google clients and pain management, it should come up. Yeah. And it has kind of a step-by-step tutorial um, and pictures of where to place that uh, nerve block and how to go about doing that. I do recommend working with your veterinarian. They're, you know, they're trained how to do those things um, and provide you recommendations on drugs and things like that as well and needle sizes. But once you learn how to do it, it's a very easy process to learn. You bet. Like quick, and, quick and easy to get accomplished. Kind of like riding a bike once you get trained. Um, a little bit of practice goes a long way, but it, you'd be amazed how much easier. For those of you that haven't done it, it's so much easier to dehorn a calf that, that's, that's numb. It really works well. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so the other big thing I would recommend is time. You got to let, give the drug time to work. And so from time to injection to time to disbudding needs to be a minimum of five minutes. Mm. That'll make your life so much easier. That drug just needs that little extra time to work in that nerve. And if you provide yourself that, so my recommendation is if you have five to do, start blocking the first one, do all five, and then go back and actually dehorn the first one There you go, and then do the rest of them. And that'll uh, make the, your life a lot easier. Absolutely. Because um, that drug will just be that much more in place and working. So, Okay. So you utilize these drugs. Uh, let's see, we've got 50 Holstein calves that were on average age 10 to 14 uh, weeks of age, and they were about 200 pounds. And you applied these three different treatments and the control and the sham. So five total treatments is what you were looking at is the nuts and bolts of the project. And um, tell me, tell me about the tools as I, I guess, before I go there, I, I believe that all of our good dairy producers, they can see a pain response in their herd. I, I believe that I know they can. And while that assessment is completely valid, it's really hard to quantify. So as I read through your article, I was enlightened about all these different uh, quantifiable tools that you use to assess pain. Can you tell me a little bit about what measurements did your team use to actually quantify pain? And what, how are we bringing science into the observations that good dairymen have had for decades? Our lab seeks to provide objective numbers. And so the FDA and their and their guidance for industry for approval of drugs for analgesia, one of the tenets they have is it has to be an objective measure. So I would agree with you where all most dairy, very good dairy men know when an animal's in pain, they know that animal's not right. 
calves are coming up to the bunk and eating the fur and pain, things like that. But we need to be able to provide a number to that. And so our tools provide that number. Um, and so they're pretty standard for our lab. So the ones we like to use um, is infrared thermography. So that's a measure of surface temperature um, using a thermography camera. And that's an indicator for stress, essentially. So blood flow to and from the eye um, is change, changes with stress. Uh, the second one we use is called mechanical nociception threshold testing. I um, had to Google so, that one. I, I, <laughs> I said, oh my goodness, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and, and so that tool allows us to actually provide a number for how much force it takes that calf to respond. So when I, when I research it, is it, would it be synonymous with, um, pushing down around that bud or the, the hole, um, to see the response to the, the swelling or the edema, but in a controlled pressure? Yes, exactly. And so it's a very controlled pressure. Um, and then once that animal responds, you stop pushing and it gives you a number, um, and that the lower the number, basically the more responsive they are to that touch. Uh, and so yeah, okay. it's literally how much, how much tolerance they can take you pushing on the area is essentially what it is. Sure. Um, the third out- outcome we use, this is the first time we ever deployed this technology or had it published, I, sh- I should say, is gait analysis. So kinetic gait analysis is a system where an animal walks across the pressure sensitive mat. Um, and with every footfall, it quantifies how much area that foot was in contact with the mat, how much pressure was there, how much force, and how long that foot was actually stood on that mat as it walked, that animal walked across. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that technology was actually the basis for transdermal banamine Mm -hmm. being approved for pain mitigation in cattle in the United States. And so uh, we thought it it was very useful to use that for other painful husbandry procedures such as dehorning. But we have data, you know, dairy cows following calving, that they actually change the way they hold their heads. Um, mm-hmm. they, and they, how they displace the, their weight essentially as they walk changes. And so we wanted to look at that, if we could find differences following this budding and dehorning of calves. Um, and we, we did find some nice differences there. I, I just thought that was really interesting to learn about that process. I, di- I didn't even know that it really existed. Very cool. Very cool. So, okay. So we've got the thermograph. Yep. We have the pressure test and uh, you talked about the, the gate. Yep. What else So in the blood? Uh, so for our, our blood outcomes, we measure cortisol and then prostaglandin E2 metabolites. So cortisol is um, obviously the stress response hormone, animal stress. They release cortisol just like you and me would in a stressful situation. Uh, the second one is prostaglandin E2 metabolites. And prostaglandin E2 is, um, prostaglandin is formed, specifically prostaglandin E2 is formed at the time of inflammation. And so um, we wanted to see if noceta had any impact on the what's called the Cox pathway. And so mm-hmm. um, when you have an inflammation in the body, uh, you, your body through the Cox pathway breaks down arachidonic acid uh, from your cells and to prostaglandins, which are inflammatory essentially. And prostaglandin E2 has been relate, specifically related to pain in terms of its mechanisms and sources. 
Sure, of course, speaking on meloxicam being a NSAID or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that, that you would expect to have a response on that prostaglandin E2. Very good. Okay. And then finally, shoot behavior, right? Was that the, the last measurement made? Uh, we actually did, uh, we did a shoot defense behavior, and then we actually did pain behavior in the pens. And so uh, we were, I work with a behaviorist um, who is more in tune with these things. Um, and, but yeah, so shoot behavior was our first one. So shoot behavior is basically the reactions in the shoot to the, the warning process. If they were flailing around, kicking their feet, their tails were flicking, um, you know, some animals were quite literally trying to basically roll around, escape type behaviors. And so we looked at those for this study um, and saw some nice differences between the two. If you look at figure four in that publication, basically what this is saying is that the bupivacaine calves, the lidocaine and meloxicam calves, and the sham calves all acted the same not work different in their behavior scores. Whereas the control calves, so those calves disputed without or dehorned without any analgesic at all had a higher behavior score. So that meant they were doing behaviors that were suggestive of painful activity. So they were trying to escape. They were laying down, uh, tails flicking, feet stomping, uh, things like that. So basically the higher the behavior score the more rambunctious in the shoot they were. Whereas the sham calves stood there and allowed us to do our sham procedure and didn't have many qualms about it, as well as the bupivacaine uh, calves. And so- could, could I be so bold to say that it made their life easier? And so the, the, that bold line that is significantly higher means that those calves that received no treatment or the control calves- they were beating you up in the yeah, shoot. Yeah, they, they and, were, yes. And those that those that did receive a treatment um, were much more tolerant and actually equal statistically to the ones that had a cold iron placed on their head. So it's so much easier. And at 50 cents per calf, uh, that's a very desirable short-term, easy-to-do management practice that makes your world better. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is just true behavior. So when they, after our procedure was done and they went back to their pen, what behaviors did they do? Obviously our shams were just normal calves out there doing what calves do, eating, drinking, you know, licking each other just normal Holstein activity compared to, um, you know, our control animals that were laying around a lot more kind of flicking their ears and exhibiting some behaviors that are more associated and documented be kind of related to this budding pain. And that, so that mean behavior score had uh, multiple different parameters within it. And I, I found it Interesting. I was thinking that it said there were four individuals that assessed all of these animals. So it was consistent over time. And they did 30 minute intervals over a number of different hours. Um, and, and ultimately summarized to over 10,000 minutes of analysis. Um, and so 
those those poor grad students. <laughs> I just had to think about uh, reviewing all of those behaviors. But I guess that's that's what we do when we're when we're researchers and we're passionate about bringing a drug to market for the benefit of the dairy industry. So let's talk a little bit about the results that you saw. Um, I guess first first question that I'd like to ask is is almost maybe an opinion in nature. I know you just went through a whole whole scheme of observations that you made, but in your opinion, which, which one or two or three do you believe to be the top or most important indicators of, of pain or concern that we should have? In terms of animal behavior, two big ones I really like, and I really rely on are mechanical nociception threshold testing, and then um, gait analysis was the other one. And so we saw some nice changes in our mechanical nociception threshold testing. Uh, some weren't surprising uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, we pretty much knew our sham would, you know, not react very much compared right. to our controls that were very painful. Uh, but we saw, you know, some nice differences with our treatment groups that, you know, repubicane, uh, especially at that 24-hour mark, didn't react as much uh, compared to our uh, the control animals. So they, they had a higher MNT threshold to mm-hmm. tolerate it just a little bit more pain. And so a lack of response is a good thing in that sense that they would be acting or behaving similarly to the, the sham that had nothing done to them. Um, and exactly. So that, and, and if you look at the graph over time and you see that control calf, so the one dehorned uh, without any sort of lidocaine or pain relief, uh, there's a pretty stark difference um, as far as that response to pressure in and around the five points of, of the horn area. So that um, if there were if there were one particular thing, take home message that you would like producers to know about this topic or specifically to that drug of uh, that was under investigation, what what would you want producers or boots on the ground to know about your project? I, the big thing I think is just to have producers understand that they can use these drugs uh, and they should be using these drugs mm-hmm. uh, and that these, you know, they're not expensive by any means. Uh, Nosuti is very expensive, but um, we wanted to just basically look at it to see how long it lasts and if it could be a viable option uh, for long-term pain mitigation. It doesn't look like it lasts that long in caps, unfortunately, mm. but, uh, which is, I guess that's why you do the research. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the big thing I would want them to know is that, you know, these drugs do work um, in terms of lidocaine um, and meloxicam or bupivacaine on its own. And so the one issue with bupivacaine liposomal suspension right now is, um, number one, it's not approved and food animals, uh, but, you know, neither, truly neither is meloxicam. So um, you need a BCPR. So they'll need to work with their veterinarians to obtain this. The second downfall is the expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're looking at about $15 per calf right now, oh, wow. 10 to $15 per calf. It's very expensive. But, you know, if we knew we got three days with one injection, that would be well worth the investment, yeah. I would say. Whereas meloxicam combined with lidocaine, uh, you know, you're uh, about 50 cents a calf right now to provide those medications. So that clearly uh, pays for itself. 
Exactly. And lidocaine and meloxicam has been documented over and over and over again to provide adequate analgesia following dewarming. Sure. Um, so. so let's use some lidocaine or nocea to uh, help our calves and therefore help yourself and um, have a win-win solution. Because again, kind of full circle back to the beginning Nobody really enjoys the day that you're dehorning. So if there's any steps that we can make to make that just a touch more enjoyable, let's let's do that. Um, so this has been very informative and I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for taking time to interview. Listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to better understand the options that you have for dehorning your calves and work closely, please, with your herd veterinarian to make sure that these extra label drugs are available to you so that you can make your world easier. This has been the December edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles that are in press. It's sound science to base your management decisions around and provided to you by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.